0: Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Life is filled with what might be called mountaintop experiences. But here's the thing about mountaintop experiences, sooner or later the time is going to come when we have to leave the mountain and go down in the valley. That's most especially true as regards discipleship. Based on the story of the transfiguration of Christ from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, here's today's message, which is in fact entitled, Down in the Valley. Have you ever had an experience, let's just call it a magic moment, when for you time just seemed to stand still? And in that singular magic moment, everything was crystal clear. Have you ever had something happen to you so utterly overwhelming, so beyond yourself that it quite literally filled you with awe and fascination and maybe even a sense of urgency about it all? The German theologian, Rudolf Otto, had a word for that kind of experience. He called it numinous, numinous, meaning an experience that goes beyond anything that you and I can rationally describe. It's what happens when suddenly, without you even knowing how or why, you're palpably aware of the presence of the divine. For instance, Most of us can understand the biology of how a baby is born, but it's quite another thing, is it not, to explain the feeling that comes over you when you hold your newborn child or grandchild for the very first time. Likewise, I can tell you that while most marriage ceremonies are basically pretty much the same wherever you go, what passes between two people in love as they stand at the altar and repeat those oh-so-familiar vows, that's unique and powerful and ultimately indescribable. It can happen in a multitude of ways, really. The too-cool-for-church-camp teenager who reluctantly goes for a week up at the Horton Center, which is our New Hampshire church camp, and comes home almost bursting with a newfound awareness of God's love. For that matter, uh, it it might be a lifelong pew dweller at church who's receiving communion just like she's done a hundred times before. But this time, for some reason, in partaking of the bread and the cup, there's an intimacy with Christ unlike anything she's ever known before. And lest we forget here, it doesn't have to be something that religious per se it could be something as simple or as indescribable as a beautiful sunset it could be the truly blessed quietness that that one finds early in the morning before everybody else is up before the world gets going for another day each one of these and so many others that i'm sure we all could name are numinous experiences Moments that are spiritual and are transforming. Or in the language of our text for this morning, it is transfiguration. It's what it means to be atop the mountain. And then suddenly, without warning, God cracks open the crust that forms over our daily lives. and, And we get to see and hear and feel with great clarity, God's awesome presence. It is for us nothing less than an experience of glory. Of course, the the thing about these numinous experiences is as as much as we would like to have them last forever, or at least as much as we'd like to hold on to them as long as we possibly can, what they have in common is they well they inevitably come to an end, right? The wonder of holding a new baby will give way to sleepless nights, to changing diapers, to try to console an inconsolable child. All the effort that goes into planning the perfect wedding day suddenly is transformed into the hard work that it takes to build a strong marriage. And the initial rush that comes from that newfound experience of faith, even that is bound to dissipate a bit, especially once the real world barges in on things and and you discover that uh, no matter what happened at church camp, life at home goes on pretty much the way it did before. In other words, it's great, it's wonderful, it's amazing, but you can't stay on that mountain forever. Sooner or later, the time is going to come when you've got to walk down from that mountain and you've got to return to the valley from which you came. You've got to go back and face all the regular, day-to-day, normal stuff. All the regular, if not cold and harsh realities of our lives. It's back to, as they say, life as usual, which is fine. But here's the thing, oftentimes, life as usual can be kind of a scary thing, sometimes. Now, it is traditional in the church on this last Sunday of Epiphany for us to turn our attention to the biblical account of the transfiguration of Christ, which is uh, the very Idea of the true mountain trough experience that that points to the magnificence of the divine presence which is seen in Jesus. And as Chris shared it with us in the passage from Matthew, it is some kind of an image there. It's the face of Jesus shining like the sun with raiment as white as the light, as the old King James Version of Scripture beautifully describes it. There's the image of Moses and Elijah appearing to and talking with Jesus. And then finally, that booming voice from a bright cloud above them. Interestingly enough, saying the same words that were spoken at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's a lot going on here. First off, what we have here is is one more divine affirmation of Jesus as the anointed one. It serves as a glorious confirmation of who Jesus really is. The light that shines in the darkness of night. Something that's later referred to in the second epistle of Peter as the day that dawns, as the morning star that rises in our hearts. And for those three disciples who had gone up the mountain with Jesus, it was a powerful, numinous experience. So amazing. So incredibly awesome. So much that Peter, good old, bold, enthusiastic, impulsive Peter, he's immediately moved to pitch some tents. So as to somehow enshrine Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in that place and make that moment last forever. That's the thing, you see, about numinous experiences, about transfiguration. You do want it to last forever. You want to be able to stay in that place forever. But of course, like I say, like all numinous moments, this one was not meant to last forever. In fact, having said that, let me just share with you that for me What's most interesting, and and really, in the end, what's the most important thing about this transfiguration story is not so much what happens on the mountain, as glorious as it is. It's what happens after, down in the valley. Now, as you know, all through this season of Epiphany, we've been uh, looking at what I've kind of come to know as biblical snapshots of the beginnings of Jesus' public ministry. Truth be told, however, have got to say that it's likely that this particular snapshot that we're looking at today was probably likely taken well into the midst of his three-year ministry. In fact, from a narrative viewpoint, our text for this morning falls just about halfway through Matthew's Gospel. And what that means is that from here on out, the story that Matthew tells begins to shift in the direction of Jesus' inevitable and triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but also everything that was to follow there. So in many ways, this particular story of Jesus, it represents the end of the beginning, so to speak. Moreover, here's a little bit of biblical commentary here for you as all three of the synoptic Gospels, that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it, the transfiguration comes immediately on the heels of Jesus having very bluntly told the disciples about what was to come, about how the Son of Man was to be killed at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and on the third day be raised. And Jesus also goes on in telling them about this, about the necessity of how the disciples need to be denying themselves and how they would have to take up their own crosses if they are to follow him where he's going. And it is, all of it is to say the very least unsettling. Remember, up till now, and we've kind of got a sense of this all through these sermons about the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, up till now, this journey with Jesus had been pretty much all about the miracles. It had been about the healing acts. It had been about the wonder of his teachings, the radical upside-down nature of the coming of the kingdom of God. It was really underlying all of those things, being in the joy of Jesus' presence. But now, now here's Jesus letting them know where all of this has been leading, And where it's all leaning, and soon, as it turns out, is to death, death on a cross. So in that context, you can understand why this numinous experience of of Jesus' transfiguration was for the disciples at once amazing and also terrifying because what these three had seen that day up on the mountain was a life-altering image of the future, their future. But you see, as much as they wanted to hold on to the glory of that moment forever, they also remembered what Jesus had said before, and they knew somehow, deep down, that if what Jesus was saying to them was true, then there was no way they were ever going to be able to stay up on the mountain and bask in that light and that glory. They really couldn't articulate it. They really couldn't uh, understand it in a worldly sense. But they did know somehow that to follow Jesus meant they would need to follow him down in the valley and all of the struggle and the pain that would be found there. I think that's why they fell to the ground. I mean, what else could they do in that moment of great transfiguration but fall to the ground? That's exactly what they did because they were overcome not so much by wonder now, but also by fear. Like I said, this this story kind of serves as a halfway point of the Gospels. It's a transition between Epiphany and Lent. For us, it also serves as a a rather sobering reminder to you and me that while there is, make no mistake, an intense and incredible joy to following Jesus, there's also going to be a cost. In other words, whereas there are going to be ample mountaintop experience that go along with being his disciple, with with following Jesus where he leads. The hard truth is that walking with Jesus means walking the way of the cross. Ultimately, our discipleship, yours and mine, is defined not so much by the, the joy and enthusiasm we bring to those moments we spend up on the mountain, but rather by our willingness to follow Jesus where he leads. And where he's leading us inevitably takes us down in the valley. You know, I've told you before from this pulpit, probably a few times, that by the time I was 15 years old, I knew that this is where God was calling me in my life. I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted, no, that I needed to go into the ministry. Everything else in my life, the pathway that I took, in some way or another, related to that call. What I may not have shared with you, though, is that over the next 10 years or so, from that time I had that awareness of call to when I was ordained, uh, right up until the time of my ordination, my very own pastor, who was also my teacher, my mentor, and a good friend, did his utmost to talk me out of it. Now, understand, it's not that he wasn't supportive, because he always was, still is. It's just that he would always ask me the same question over and over again. Michael, are you sure? Are you sure you want to be a minister? (laughs) Tell you the truth, a lot of times, if you realize the context of when he said that, it usually was after... Uh, he found himself overwhelmed by pastoral duties or at a moment when a persnickety parishioner had come in and read him the riot act. Are you sure you want to be a minister? And it really, truthfully, it got to be a joke between us. But it was grounded, you see, in some hard truth. As he explained to me years later, I just wanted you to know it wasn't always going to be fun that it wasn't always going to be easy or convenient. And guess what, folks? (laughs) He was right. Ministry. And understand here, I'm not just talking about the pastoral kind, but the ministries to which we are all called. Ministry is not always or completely or sometimes even primarily about the joy of worship. It is not always going to be about the spiritual rush of feeling God's love surging through you. Sometimes it's going to be about proclaiming truth when nobody else wants to hear it. It's about standing with the powerless when no one else will. And sometimes it's about being rejected for simply doing what Jesus would do. Now, do not misunderstand here. In over 40 years of pastoral ministry, my life, has been filled to overflowing. So many numinous experiences that I could not even begin to share them all with you, at least not in this sermon. And honestly, even after all these years, I cannot imagine doing anything else with my life than what I am doing right now. But you see the important point here, the one that my pastor wanted me to get way back when. Is that if we're going to be following Jesus, any of us, not merely clergy types like me. Following Jesus means you're going to walk the walk of faith. And that means we're going to be carrying all those numinous experiences we've had. Those experiences of God's presence, that transfiguration light into the darkest places of this world. So that in and through our lives, a little bit of God's glory can be revealed. And it can be unsettling when that happens. It's upsetting at times. But in the end, it's the revelation of that glory that truly matters. For that is, in a nutshell, our shared ministry, that is our life as disciples to return to that verse from Second Peter. You will do well to be attentive to this as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, the good news in all of this, of course, is that the transfiguration story does not end with those disciples on the ground cowering in fear. In fact, in a verse that's included only in Matthew's account of this story, Jesus comes right up to Peter, James, and John, and he touches them and he says, Get up and do not be afraid. That's pretty amazing. Do not be afraid. Those are the same words in which the angel Gabriel greeted Mary. Though that was the same assurance that was given to the shepherds by the heavenly host. And eventually, that would be the words the angel of the Lord would say unto the women who came seeking Jesus in the tomb on that morning of resurrection. And Jesus is saying it now to these three disciples who are terrified at the prospect of what's coming next. Get up, he says to them, and do not be afraid. What I love about this is there's no rebuke here. Jesus is not calling them out or calling us out for failures to follow, as we should. Jesus is simply pulling them and us out of our fears, away from our sense of failure, so that we can take those first courageous steps into new life restored and renewed. Yes, yes. He says, it's true, all of it. To walk with me means walking the way of the cross. But he goes on to say, I promise you this. If you follow me, if you go where I go, even unto the cross, if you take up your own cross as you do, I promise you, you won't be walking that way alone. I will be with you, he says. I will be there to comfort you, to sustain you, to lead you, and to carry you all the way, even unto the end of the age. Beloved, there is great joy in being with our Lord up on the mountaintop. And I pray that you have and that you will know those moments in your own lives. But I also pray this morning that each one of us might also have the grace to come down from the mountain, to, go, to walk with Jesus down in the valley, because it's down in the valley where discipleship and our very lives will truly begin. And the way in the valley and to the cross begins now. Thanks be to God, dear friends. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Down in the Valley, which was recorded during our February the 19th service of worship at East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire where, by the way, we invite you to join us in person for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know that you will be glad you came. For now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.